I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome back, folks. This is Michael Patton, and this is Theology Unplugged. It's great to have you. It's great uh, for all of those of you who continue to join us each week. Uh, Thank you for your support. We're here with uh, Tim and Sam, Tim Kimberly and Sam Storms. Once again, Sam is uh, here as our special guest. We're going to try to continue to twist Sam's arm to be a regular guest on the broadcast, but we'll talk more about that later. I don't want to put any pressure on him, you know, in public or anything, so... (laughs) But uh, we, uh, we're we going to jump right back into it, folks. We usually do a few announcements, but uh, we want to jump right back into what we were talking about last week and the unity and diversity of the church. Now, we talked a little bit about doctrinal statements and how long should doctrinal statements be? How long should they be at the seminary? How long should they be at the local church? How much unity do we require? How much diversity do we want to uh, um encourage or even inspire sometimes we talk about diversity in some areas and we talk i think today we've been moving more towards an age where diversity is is celebrated more but i wonder where that line is where in beliefs whenever we have diversity in beliefs where's that line that is crossed and you say well you know we don't want to be that diversified but also we don't want to you know be too isolated and and uh, unified so much around our particular beliefs, all of them, to where we exclude every church that's in town. And we think, you know, well, we, our, our way is the right way, and nobody else really has the right way. And so, therefore, you know, let's, let's just keep things to ourselves. We're talking about unity, diversity. Last time we ended talking about that in the local church. And Sam gave us a couple of things. Sam told us, um, you know, at his church at Bridgeway, in Oklahoma City, he likes to think of it in three levels. There is the how much unity do you require among the congregation members, how much unity do you require among the leadership, and then how much do you require among the pastors and elders. And Sam had told us that uh, the further you go up, the, the higher you are up in leadership, the more unified you should be. Now, I want to continue on that, and, and Tim, please feel free to jump in at any time as well, but... Do do we at any point? Because um, because I, I here, here's one thing I was talking to. I don't remember who I was talking about the other day, but I said, oh, we were talking about a particular church, and this particular church was a was a, a Christian church, and pastor was is good, and and I like him, and I like everything that they stand for and what they believe. But whenever I look at the church, it just seems to be all really young people, you know, no no old people. And then I look at another church, and I, I've got one in mind, that I go to and I say, gosh, this is just all old people. You know, there's no young people here. And as I was talking to this lady yesterday, I said, you know, I think ideally, and I, I'm not trying to say that I could pull this off, you know, I'm not a pastor of a church or anything, but I would think ideally the local church should be representative of the community, you know, it should have families and it should have young people and singles and older people and and not quite so much um uh, isolated to a particular group 
the reason why I think that is because I think that each stage of life, you know, is a, brings to it, brings, brings to the church a particular life stage that has, that has different types of wisdom and understanding and enthusiasm and, and, and troubles and trials and, and all, all of this stuff. And so I would say we need to try at least at this point to encourage diversity in age and and uh, representative of your community, representative well, of the church. And, and I would say, I mean, we're getting from what we believe to more from message to method, mm-hmm. more from what is your beliefs to what is your philosophy, what is your ministry philosophy with those beliefs. You know, maybe you can say, like Paul did, you know, hey, I feel called that I'm to reach the Gentiles and you focus on reaching the Jews. And so, I mean, I think that we can see in different local congregations, uh, people saying, hey, we feel like we're most called, you know, there are certain churches that say, hey, we're called to spread the gospel through adoption and just coming around single parent families and adoption stuff. And so, so in many ways, you're, you have to say that means that we're not focusing on other things because, I mean, you do have limited resources, limited time and things like that. Mm -hmm. But even from Mark Driscoll, a church in Seattle, who is definitely has focused on primarily a uh, punk rock type group of people initially at least even he would say is, is there still punk rock people around well i don't know what the <laughs> lingo is or something i'm sure yeah they're probably not wearing bell bottoms or anything <laughs> don't but, they do scrunchies uh, on but their they're arms still or yeah they're still mad and, and yeah. yeah but being redeemed though but he would even say that his, the focus on the church initially was towards this punk rock group uh, in the in the 90s when you know Pearl Jam is in the city and Nirvana and all these groups but what he says is that once those people became believers he recognized that they needed other people who are more mature in the faith to mentor them. He needed people who were married with kids in the church so that when these punk rockers started having kids or getting married and having kids, kids in, in that, yeah, that, well, that they would have examples of godly people in the church that they could follow. And so, you know, even within that diversity of ministry philosophy, I think you get to where you have to have a diversity of people in order to, to be more holistic in your church and being more balanced and things like that. Well, I'm going to get back to the theology part of it and this is just kind of a springboarding into it but you have any thoughts on that no i i agree with what you said yeah and i I think that obviously wanting to have a diversity in a local church is an ideal i think every pastor wants to see that happen Um, but i think tim is also correct that sometimes when churches are first birthed in a particular community with a particular vision they become a gravitational center for unique kind of people groups as it were within the u.s it might be um, um, a, a particular uh, sector within a culture that is drawn there. And um, obviously, I think over the long haul, that becomes problematic because mm-hmm. you become so homogeneous and there's not much uh, diversity. There's not much interaction across generations, across races, across cultural divides. Uh, and I obviously the ideal, I think any pastor would tell you, uh, would be that there would be both old and young and middle-aged and uh, a wide diversity. And I, I think oh, I think a fear is that if if you're so focused on one area and not being diverse, you get someone who walks by 
the story of the Good Samaritan, you get the two religious people who are walking by this person who's by the side of the road, and you say, well, our church isn't called to reach that person. Mm-hmm. And then you keep walking by without saying, like, hey, open up your eyes, you know, and see that every person is made in the image of God, and every person is Christ came to save. And so, and being more holistic in reaching your area. Okay. Well, I'm setting you guys up for something here, and I'm going to reveal it later. But, um, Okay, now, now, if we're trying to, if that's the ideal, and you say every pastor, and I agree with you that most pastors that I know, they don't really say I'd rather stay like this and one, one demographic or one, uh, type of person. There are many out there, though. Yeah, for there sure. There for sure are, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, it's, they're not trying the other way. I know how difficult that can be to create diversity, but one of the ways we might create diversity is having diversity in leadership, you know, not having all the pastors that are in their 20s. Or not having all pastors that are in their 60s or 70s, you know, you would want to have a balance there as well. Wouldn't you all agree? Mm-hmm. Would that be a way to help create some? So you're talking about a pastoral team or a board of elders? You're mm-hmm. talking about leadership. I, I'd probably say more a pastoral. Uh, looking on the pastoral level, uh, at least in the churches that I'm thinking of, the elder board maybe. You, you're, you're looking for more wisdom and, mm-hmm. and different type of guidance. And so that may be a little bit less diversified as far as age. I want to say totally, but you know, a little bit less. Well, I, I think so. I, and you know, probably the answer to that depends on the, the structure of the church. Is it a, is it a kind of a program driven church where you have a diversity of programs that are de- designed to reach out and to engage certain demographic groups? Like, so do you need a pastor for, um, you know, for the elderly, do you, you obviously you're going to have a youth pastor. You don't want him 50, you don't want a 50 year old youth pastor. Yeah. Uh, no offense to any 50 year old youth pastors that are still <laughs> slugging away. Um, uh, generally speaking, you, you probably want a worship leader who is going to be able to connect with the totality of the church. Um, so he's got to be somewhat young, but at the same time in touch with the desires of, of an older group. So I, I think a lot of it depends on, uh, the nature of the church, you know, in our church, I'm obviously the oldest uh, one among the staff. Uh, got a couple of elders that are my age, but uh, my staff members, my pastoral team, uh, they're all uh, beneath the age of 35. Hmm. So, because we are, in, in essence, um, a much younger church, demographically speaking, uh, I think as we might draw in more middle-aged people, it might become more necessary to, for us to bring in someone who can um, maybe connect with them and communicate with that age group a little bit more readily. Hmm. Okay, well then, let me move back to theology, because I know that this is theology unplugged, but this is, this has a lot to do with what uh, we're talking about, and it's an interesting conversation. But I want to I want to move and say, okay, let me ask you this. If, if, if our goal is to represent in, in the church, we, we want to represent our community, we want to represent those whom we are serving. If, if it's a diverse community, you kind of want diversity in your church so that you can serve the community in a good way. Um, whenever we come to the body of Christ, the historic body of Christ, let's say, and we want to, we want to represent a biblical and historic body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, as we look through the centuries, there is some degree of diversity. I, I understand that we have grown and we have understood more and we have changed in the sense that I think uh, certain doctrines have become stronger and we understand them better than we did before. 
Uh, at least that's my opinion on the stuff. I don't. I, I believe that we can we can develop as far as our doctrine is concerned. But at the same time, we still have a lot of people out there that are that are different. You know, you have egalitarians, as you talked about last time, complementarians. You have Calvinists. You have Arminians. You have people that are diverse as far as their view of the end times. And so one of the things that we want to do is to, number one, emphasize what are the most important things. And we talked about this last time. We talked about really the person and work of Christ, the doctrine of the Trinity, monotheism. And we said those are the central elements that the church has historically always agreed upon. Whenever we come to the local body of Christ, whenever we come to the local church, shouldn't we be strong on those essentials, but also representative more broadly upon those non-essentials, and so therefore staff our church in such a way. Now, when you say staff our church, do you are you saying, I'm not sure I understand entirely what you mean, are you suggesting that the staff be representative of the diversity that exists in the body as a whole? Uh, I, would, I personally think that there should be uh, more unity theologically among the staff, um, but that's my own conviction. No, 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 so, go ahead. Uh, as I said, I, I don't really – this is something that I've just been thinking of recently because we deal with so many people that are dealing with this diversity and, mm. and so many people who are, who are either dividing over little small things or right. thinking the church you know, is, is, is too divisive on everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really trying to respond to it just because, gosh, I want them to be Christians and therefore I'm going to change everything. But I'm trying to really work through what is the right way to approach it. What is, what is the front that the church needs to put forward? Well, for example, uh, I'll just give you one illustration. Uh, I believe, uh, having raised two daughters who are now grown, they're adults, but having raised two daughters uh, and having been raised in the context and the life of the church, any church that I would be a part of, I would want to know what they're being taught in a Sunday school class mm-hmm. or in a youth ministry. Uh, I want to have some assurance that they are not being uh, misled in some way. Now, so one of the functions of our statement of faith is we are declaring by it to the people, um, this is the position that will be represented by a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader. This is the position that will be represented in the pulpit. We will not uh, teach anything contrary to this statement of faith uh, in a public manner. We We'll dialogue about the differences. We'll engage in uh, robust and and um, and heated discussions. Hopefully, not arguments, but sometimes they degenerate into that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of what will be publicly promoted as truth, here are the issues. Here is what we stand by as a, a leadership body, as a pastoral team. And so, like I said, we may have somebody who is uh, speaking at a youth group maybe even somebody who's leading a small group meeting who may not agree with every point in our statement of faith, but they are leading on the understanding that they will, although engage in dialogue and say, well, what do you all think about this? Let's look at the arguments for and against. Let's see what the scriptures say on the subject of the relationship between men and women or spiritual gifts or eschatology. But they will agree not to promote anything contrary to that statement. And I think when people come into a local church, one of the first things they ask is, what are my kids going to be taught? Mm -hmm. How are they going to be instructed? And am I going to have to go home on Sunday afternoon and undo 
what was done in their minds and in their thinking on Sunday morning or at a Wednesday night youth meeting. Yeah. So uh, a statement of faith has to function, I think, at least minimally in that capacity. Um, but certainly, uh, I personally think that diversity is a good thing congregationally. Let, let me, I know I'm dominating this, but let me give you another one, one controversial example. What do you do with open theism today? You know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have found a statement of faith of any seminary or church that went into detail on the fact that God has exhaustive foreknowledge of all future events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and open theism is the belief that God's knowledge is limited, therefore he doesn't know the future. Exactly. Well, and specifically that God chooses to limit his knowledge. Mm-hmm. So the question is, um, should we now have insert into our doctrinal statements, for example, as we have, <clears throat> excuse me, um, an, a clear affirmation of divine foreknowledge, mm-hmm. exhaustive divine foreknowledge, such that um, open theism is not a topic that we would tolerate being taught among our people. And we'll talk about it, but we'll talk about it in order to show that it is false. Yeah. At Bridgeway, yeah. anyway. Yeah. But do you make that, for example, a requirement for membership? Would you insist that anyone who's going to be in any teaching level uh, or serving in that capacity um, embrace exhaustive divine foreknowledge? If somebody wanted to join your church... Would they have to affirm that, or could an open theist be a member of the church? Uh, because that there's all sorts of implications mm-hmm. for that particular mm-hmm. theological mm-hmm. issue about the very nature of God Himself. Yeah, it goes far beyond just the exactly. basic Calvin and Arminian view. It's it's taken one of them to the real extreme, and because sure. it can seem like a minority view until it starts encroaching on the view of the Trinity and encroaching on the attributes of God. Well, and encroaching like on that. your own personal life. Exactly, which, uh, your own decision-making, yeah. how you respond to, to tragedy in your life, and are you going to basically portray God as if he's sitting in heaven with his hands turned upward, saying, shrugging his shoulders, saying, sorry, you know, I, I couldn't see that coming. Well, divine cheerleader, you know, yeah. come on, go, go, go. Yeah, and it could be situational, like in many areas of the country or the world, people haven't heard of that, open theism, but if you're next to a church, like in Minneapolis, for instance, next to a, a church where uh, the pastor there is one of the main proponents of that view, then maybe your church will have to take a stronger stance, I would say, in that, because you're knowing that, that many people in your yeah. city are being heavily influenced by that, yeah. and so you might have to speak more into that than a church in Bangladesh might have to. Well, let me get to something a little bit more. I, I think we would all agree on that. We're all getting heated up when we talk about <laughs> the whole show is going to turn into uh, us uh, teaching against it here. But whenever it comes, I, I watched John Piper this morning on, uh, I guess it was on his blog, mm-hmm. and he was talking about where do I stand on creation, I think. Mm-hmm. And he talked about, I think think he was talking about his congregation, kind of the same thing we're talking about here today, but whenever it comes to the issues of like creation and evolution, I think, um, you know, you, you, you have to ask the question, okay, well, do we, do we draw hard and fast lines here? Um, and how do we decide how hard and fast to draw those lines? Now, John Piper said this, he said, I think that three things need to be affirmed. Number one is that God created everything. Number two, I don't remember. <laughs> Number three was that um, Adam and Eve were real people created out of the dust of the ground. And so those were the three essentials to him. And therefore, you know, no evolutionary biology or anything like that. You, he, For him, you could have an old earth, 
but you just couldn't have an old mankind. He said mankind needs to be between six and 12,000 years or 15,000 years at the most with the genealogies, and so we need to be faithful to those genealogies. Now, I'm not necessarily saying let's talk about that issue right here, okay? Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to t- figure out, okay, let's, let's talk about that issue with regards to you know the pastors that are listening to us, the the leaders who are listening to us, those people who are starting a church that are listening to us. I'm not saying we're going to give them any answers, but I'm trying to help them enter into this conversation and say, where do we draw the lines on issues like that? Because we may have some very very strong opinions, but there is diversity out there. Yes, there is. Um, for example, in our statement of faith, we affirm that God is the Creator. We do not have anything in terms of the age of the earth. Um, it's fairly clear in reading it that we believe that Adam and Eve were historical figures, the first parents of the human race, Adam who stood probation by, as the covenant representative of his posterity. Uh, and I think those are essential. I would tend to agree with John. Um, I think the reason why this becomes um, a volatile matter is because there are many who are convinced that if you embrace an old earth, um, that... Uh, you do so because beneath the surface you're really not an inerrantist and you don't take the Bible seriously or you have been infected by the culture and you're being uh, swayed by the superior authority of scientific discovery over the authority of the Bible. Mm. And so I think people who want to draw that line much more uh, closely and tightly, far more so than John would, for example, they're doing it because they are suspicious of the underlying motivation and the underlying forces that are leading people to embrace an old earth uh, cosmology. Um, so that, I think, is why you will see in some doctrinal statements very explicit repudiation of uh, biological evolution. Now, of course, I don't believe in biological evolution. I don't. It's not in our statement of faith. Um, I think... But I think a lot of people want that there. They want dates. They want mm-hmm. uh, they want to make a statement about uh, uh, days of creation being literal 24-hour uh, days because they are concerned that beneath that issue is a you're getting fuzzy on biblical authority. You're capitulating to the influences in our culture uh, and the broader society. So that is an issue that would have to be addressed. But personally, I would say I would not, I would, you know, this gets tough because there's been, as you know, a big debate in the blogs lately about some very well-known professors who are embracing, denying the historicity of Adam and Eve, embracing uh, evolution as the mechanism God used to to create. Mm. And And it seems to be becoming the default view among many of these even evangelical types. Yeah, especially Old Testament scholars. And so the question then becomes, would you admit someone who embraces those views into the membership of your church? Would you, would you, would you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use name. I know you're not, but would you allow Bruce Walkie to teach? I mean, that's the question. You know, those, would you allow Francis Collins to teach? He's, he's attending your church and he says, Hey, I want to teach a Bible study. Well, Bruce was a professor of mine at Dallas. So that goes <laughs> how far I go back. And he was one of the most beloved profs I had. He's yeah. an unbelievably wonderful Christian man. Now, I deeply disagree with his views in, in the way that he has now embraced evolution as God's mechanism for creation. But, yes, I would allow, I would allow him to teach. But I would probably say don't teach on that subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can teach on yeah. other issues where you are you know, teaching the book of Proverbs or the Psalms or Old Testament theology. But I would probably say, Dr. Walkie, uh, I'm asking you not to address that particular topic because 
that's not what we believe here, and it would be confusing to our people, and I would have to spend weeks and weeks and countless hours after your departure <laughs> clarifying, cleaning up the mess, addressing the issue, and that wouldn't be productive. Well, my my guess is that he would receive that in Christian love and yes, that, he that, that he would recognize that it is an issue that is not the, the main tenets of the faith and that he would, he would bow to your authority as the leader of that church and the, the keeper of really guarding the flock and, and recognizing that in Christian love, we're agreeing that we're going to walk together. But on this issue, let's both have respect for each other and not teach this to the church that you are in authority over. Well, an interesting thing is I, te- I teach, um, as you, you guys may know, I teach very often at uh, Crossings Community Church on Wednesday night. They have a uh, growing you, and they have diversity of classes, and I come in there and teach the theology classes. And, and it's kind of funny because they are an Arminian, egalitarian church. And they have me, a Calvinist complementarian, come in and teach them. Do they know that? Yeah, they know that. I mean, I, I really, I, I, I tried to make it clear beforehand, and and I tried to say, hey, he, here's the way that I look at it. Is, and, and you know, they were they were kind of saying, well, what do you think about it? And I say, well, here's the way that I look at it. Is whenever I teach these issues, these topics in theology, I'm doing it more as a teacher, not as a preacher. And so I will teach, and I will say, here's what your church believes, and here's why. Here's what uh, the other side believes, and here's why. And at the end, uh, if they ask, I'll give them my opinion on it. So it was more of a teaching capacity in mm-hmm. that area rather than a preaching capacity. And there is a difference in the local church, I think, that you draw the distinction between preaching and teaching, you know. And I know that sometimes in, in whenever somebody's wanting to teach a Sunday school or a fellowship or or a small group, it uh, most people's default is to go to preaching, you know, because they feel like that's what they're supposed to do. You know, they're supposed to act like the pastor and they're supposed to, you know, be persuasive like the pastor. And that's fine. I'm not saying anything against that. I'm just saying that there's a point where in the local church, preaching takes a a role of of uh, divine authority in a sense and conviction that you are bringing upon your people and representing the church in a different way than just teaching does and so i might distinguish between those two whenever i am whenever i have diversity i mean we do that in the theology program you know mm-hmm. we teach we teach out of the historic christian faith and here's this view on the end times here's this view and you know at the end sometimes they don't know where we stand on it if they ask me i'll tell them but you know, they always know I'm a Calvinist though, because I can't help it. I have to, I have to tell them up front because I'm so excited about it. You know, <laughs> so I, I, that that always does turn into preaching, but that's a different deal. Right. So uh, you know that that's an interesting thing. We've got all kinds of issues that uh, you know you you ask about this, and you say, all right, creation evolution. That's a that that's a hard one. There's a lot of diversity. I I think that there's going to be even more diversity uh, in the coming years, simply because as I said. I think it seems to be that the majority of people are going in that direction towards theistic evolution. The more I read, the more I see. You you have the churches that, that are staying, but more of the scholarship is feeling pressured to go in that direction to some degree. Uh, that may be true. Uh, certainly it is the case that um, I think you're seeing increasing numbers of evangelicals <clears throat> excuse me, embracing an old earth, old universe uh, as over against young earth. Um, whether or not that is going hand in glove with an embracing of theistic evolution remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. But um, I think there is, I mean, I taught at Wheaton, and uh, uh, the majority, if not, in fact, <laughs> the entirety of the physical sciences faculty would embrace some form of theistic evolution. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there was anyone there 
and which became somewhat controversial and probably still is, but I don't know that there's anyone there who would embrace a young earth, um, six-day, 24-hour-a-day creation scenario. Um, and Wheaton is representative in some respects of evangelical academia. So, yes, in that regard, that's probably true. Yeah. And just to be clear, folks, I mean, not that this is what we're talking about here, but I, I am the same. I, I don't embrace theistic evolution. I don't believe in theistic evolution. But at the same time, I scratch, scratch my head a lot, you know, saying, why are, why are these people that, you know, you don't really have anything to lose or to gain except for scientific credibility, but some of these people are just heading in that direction. It doesn't seem to be any any reason for it. And so I scratch my head about some of these things. Now, let me let me get to one more, and we're going to talk about one more here, and uh, we'll hope to have Sam back next time as well. But I want to talk about uh, diversity of spiritual gifts. Okay, Now, I am a de facto. I talked about this before on the blog. I, I wrote a blog series not too long ago. I don't know if you guys ever read it, but it was a why, Actually, am, I, I did. why am I a cessationist. <laughs> and my basic argument in the end was that I, I'm not persuaded necessarily by any particular biblical text or any particular theology that pushes me to be a cessationist, a believer that, or a, a believer, uh, a cessationist is one that believes that the supernatural sign gifts, and they would be the only ones who distinguish those usually, the supernatural sign gifts such as tongues, prophecy, healings, and stuff like that, ended sometime in church history and are not normative. And the reason why I said that was not because I'm persuaded biblically or anything like that, or theologically, I think it could go either way very easily. As a matter of fact, I think it may go more on the side of uh, continuationism, but because I've never experienced it, and I've always been open to it. You know, I've never seen anything and heard anything, uh, and, and I've looked for it, especially whenever it comes to certain members of my family, especially when Randy was sick and, you know, she was before she died. That was something that I really sought out, and I said, Lord, I'm ready for that. I, I'll do anything type thing. But... Having said that, and we're not going to get into a conversation because I know we, we, we'd love to get into a conversation about that. I would love sometime to get and just sit down and talk to you about that, Sam, about that on, on the, the air, too. Sam will say you just haven't been at Bridgeway long enough. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but wh- where do we draw the line there? Because obviously you would say that there are good people on both sides of this issue and that there is uh, diversity within the church. Now, I would think, I, no, I, I know because I've been to your church uh, many times and I've heard you talk about this before. You say, in the congregation, we allow for diversity. You don't have to believe, you know, you don't have to be a continuationist, believing these gifts are still going on, or a cessationist. What about church leadership with regards to this? With regard to our leadership, uh, it is ex- uh, continuationism, is, continuationism is explicitly affirmed in our statement of faith, very clearly so. And I can't it, teach over at his church. That's right. Uh, that stinks. Yes, you can. You can teach. You just, just couldn't teach cessation. Okay. There you go. <laughs> no, no, I can teach cessation, but I can't preach it. How's that? No. No. So right, you all, can teach it without an audience, though. You can be in a room by yourself. So uh, in all of our elders must be continuationists. All of our pastoral team must be continuationists. Um, doesn't mean that everybody who attends Bridgeway must be uh, we might even, unbeknownst to me, have cessationists in our fellowship that are functioning at various levels. Uh, but in terms of the official position of the church and what the leadership will stand for, affirm, and teach and promote as truth, we are all continuationists. Hmm. And you recognize it, though, as an aspect of you know, interacting with people from Bridgeway. It's, it's taught in a way, though, that people affirm it 
but people do not disassociate with other churches who do not affirm the same thing. Not so only you're saying that, it, but we wouldn't dissociate from one another at Bridgeway over that. That's right. Issue. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is a key in any of this is is that the pastor really sets the tone of the importance of these theological distinctions, the importance of of really guarding your your people in the essence of so that when uh, a child is dropped off, they're not being taught some crazy thing that someone just heard on Oprah the day before or something like that. But at the same time, you're you're basically setting the tone of. How do we interact with people who do not hold this, even though we hold it strongly in order to be clear, to be to walk together, to be arm in arm together for the gospel, uh, but that we're setting the tone so that we don't become this isolationist church over here that believes that everybody else around us are not believers. Precisely. Yeah, we would be very careful, and I would be very careful, to, in, to, to in say to, to people, do not make the issue of the, the perpetuity of spiritual gifts uh, a criterion for fellowship or love yeah. or uh, uh, service together or joining hands and arms in, in proclaiming the gospel and ministering to one another, praying for one another, mm. being in the same small group together. That should not be mm. an issue that divides in that way. Now, for some people, unfortunately, it is, but I certainly would not want it to be in, in our church, and I would hope that others uh, would not make that a, a, an issue that is, uh, you know, a, a sticking point or a decisive factor in terms of who am I going to hang out with. Well, one of the things, too, whenever I think about the, the reclaiming the mind and who's involved and the type of people, I mean, we've got all kinds of people doing the theology program, um, and we're, we're just about done here. We're running out of time. But one of the things that we try to do as a ministry is to represent the diversity, not necessarily just on the staff. I mean, I don't mind having some diversity on the staff. Uh, you're, you're very diverse than me. You know, mm. I'm, I'm very, very smart. You just don't really use your brain that I'm much. I'm a common man. Yeah, common man. So we try to get you on here. <laughs> but we, we had try to have a special guests on and, mm. you know, give them a pulpit in a sense, you know. I guess in a sense, like we're doing with you, but you're we're, we're really more close than anything else. So you're not a you're not that diverse from us. Right. Well, spiritual gifts maybe, but uh, you're you've got it all right on Calvinism and complementarianism, and so people might say you know you're you not didn't that say diverse. Eschatology for some reason? No, not eschatology because <laughs> I, I haven't really got all the eschatology figured out myself. So I allow for diversity because of my own ignorance of the issue. <laughs> But, um, you know, it's like, okay, at your church, you may have somebody come and fill the pulpit who is a cessationist, but you're not going to say teach on cessationism. Exactly. But you're going to tell your church by having this person fill the pulpit, and you might even intentionally say, this person doesn't agree with this on this, but, you know, he's going to come up here and preach on this. And that sends a message and says, you know what? We, we don't divide. Look, he, mm -hmm. the pastor's not dividing with these, these people. Yeah. So that's a, that's a way to represent the diversity as well. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, guys, uh, folks, um, it, it's been great to have you for the last 30 minutes. We are out of time. Uh, next time we are going to continue to talk about this particular subject, and we're going to try to invite Sam back. We will see if he, uh, he is able to come back and join us and add to the diversity, not much diversity, again, you know, but someday we'll have some more. We had Lindsay on last week, and she's a girl, and we let her, we let her talk, you know, so that was that was nice. Um, this is uh, Theology Unplugged. We have coming up this summer the boot camp. Look on the site for that. Go to credohouse.org. Email us if you have any questions or any comments about the broadcast. Theology Unplugged at reclaimingthemind.org. For Tim and for Sam, this is Michael. Thank you and God bless you. You have been listening to Theology Unplugged. 
Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes Store. All episodes are available as free downloads. These broadcasts are made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For more information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit our homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.